You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant. We're an evangelical covenant church located outside of Ellsworth in western Wisconsin. I'm Todd Speaker, the pastor here, and you can learn more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Isaiah 59 and Ephesians 6. So, so those of you that are turning in, in your Bibles, take uh, a minute to do that. So Ephesians 6, and then in a little while we're going we're gonna to jump back to Isaiah 59, and we're kind of going to look at both of those together. They're, they're linked together in, in Scripture, and you'll, and you'll see how. Um, <clears throat> but, but as you're turning, um, that's uh, Isaiah 59, Ephesians 6. I'm going to be reading. I, I pasted it in here from the New Living Translation. Um, so take a, take a minute to do that. At Bethel, um, we've been looking at Ephesians 6 together, and we've looked at it, uh, we looked at it last week. We're looking at it again, and, and we'll see. I'm going to be gone next week, but we might just look at it again the week after that um, because there's so much here. There's so many important things here, and you'll notice as we go through this, there are things that I'm not going to touch on very much, that I'm not going to cover, maybe you're expecting, uh, but... Uh, I think there's a really important uh, thing in here for us today that just struck me, hit me really hard this week, and it, it totally changed what I was planning on talking about this week. Um, <clears throat> so uh, as you're turning there, Isaiah 59, Ephesians 6, and we're talking about what it means to, to still be standing at the end of the battle. So last Sunday we talked about how uh, in Ephesians 6, um, this metaphor for the human life is a metaphor of conflict, of war, of battle. And how life sometimes is, is just hard. It's a battle. And Paul's talking about that, that goal, that dream, that at the end of the battle, at the end of the, the conflict, we would still be standing. And as I was preparing for this uh, sermon this week, I got a text message from my mom. Um, <clears throat> and I was, I was reading through Ephesians 6. And she let me know that uh, uh, a fellow, a guy that I've talked about here before, uh, a spiritual mentor of mine that you know, you know, when you grow up in the church, those of you that have had that, that experience of having those spiritual mothers and fathers or those surrogate grandparents, well, well, this, we didn't live close to family, and this guy, Dan Danielson, I've talked about him before, was uh, a retired Air Force chaplain, and he was a spiritual uh, grandparent to me, somebody that cared for me, and, and I heard on Tuesday that he, he passed away uh, last week. His funeral is uh, tonight, actually, back in, back in Colorado. And he is, has just been that fixture for me. My whole life growing up, every time I come back, and even last Christmas when I came back uh, with the family, you know, he's the first one that comes up and shakes my hand. How's it going? Uh, just a, an amazing, um, faithful Christian. I, as long as I've known Dan, he's been retired. He is an Air Force chaplain. And so he'd preach sometimes at church. But most of what he did, uh, you know, and, and I don't know all that he did, but the two things that impacted me was he showed up he was always there, right? If any time I was there, Dan Danielson was going to be there because he was always there, right? And, and then the other thing that he did was he cared for all of us kids in the church. You know, I'm not the only one that grew up at Living Hope for whom Dan Danielson was a spiritual uh, grandpa. And, and I kind of, you know those people in your life that you kind of just think, you know, you know they're older, but you think they're probably going to live longer than you because they've just been on earth forever. Um, and so it was kind of shocking um, but the thing that, that came to mind, and, and especially, you know, um, a week ago, we, we celebrated Rochelle's life. She's another person like that. We, we got to celebrate her life. And, and as I got that text message, I was thinking about him, and I was thinking about Rochelle, 
And the first thing that popped into my head was, you know what, though, Todd? They were still standing at the end, you know? Uh, you know, if Paul's talking about this battle, this battle to remain standing, you know, it's not about these amazing high moments, these amazing uh, successes or victories or whatever. Like, that doesn't matter at the end. At the end of the day, both of those individuals, they, they passed the test of faith. They were still standing. And not just in that they still, like, sort of believed in Jesus or whatever or still attended or showed up at church uh, all the time. No, they were still standing in love for their community, for their people. They were a part of it, despite how hard it was. And, and both of those churches, both, both Bethel and Living Hope that I, I grew up in, they've been through some things <laughs> that would make you maybe not want to stay standing. They've been through some struggles. They've been through some challenges. But both of those people, they were still standing. And it got me wondering about what Paul says here in Ephesians. And what does it mean? How do we remain standing at the end of the battle? Because the victory is won, and the key is to, to remain on our feet. And so we're going to look through Ephesians, but I want to introduce you to one thing really fast. Um, uh, you know me, I like to talk about Bible words sometimes here at Bethel. Um, and so this is, we're going to practice it, and I want you guys here in the room to, to repeat after me. And, and you guys at home, I want you to type this word in the comments. It's not that hard, and I want you to say it out loud, because um, it's, it's really important. And I think if you're going to read the New Testament, if you're going to read the New Testament letters, like Ephesians or Corinthians or Romans or whatever— you need to know this word. It, it totally changes how you read uh, the New Testament. And, and that word is not a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word. It's actually an English word, and it's the English word y'all. Y'all. So, so those of you, um, uh, we have a few people at Bethel that are, that are from the South, um, and they, I'm sure, will correct me on my usage of this word. Uh, but, but seriously, the most important word to understand uh, kind of the rest of the New Testament is is y'all. Um, because the problem is, in English, especially in this part of the country, when I want to refer to a, a group of people, uh, of more than one person, I'll say you, right? Hey, hey you, or hey you guys. Um, in the South, maybe they say y'all, but don't, don't come at me. I know it's more complicated than that. Um, <laughs> but, but in the language that the New Testament was written in, uh, Koine Greek, every verb, every word is spelled differently based on who it's addressing, Okay. So it, it's written one way if I'm talking to um, somebody in the first person singular. If I'm talking to Molly, it's written one way. It's written another way if I'm talking about those people over there. That's a third person plural. And it's written another way if I'm talking second person plural, like, hey, hey, y'all, hey, you guys. And, and so in Greek, every verb is written differently based on who it's written to. And so this is, this is really important. Stay with me. I know it's boring. Uh, but in this passage... And most passages in the New Testament, most of the New Testament letters, if you read the word you, you should be thinking y'all. So, so whenever Paul says, or, or somebody writes in a letter, you should do this, or you should do that, or, or you should know who you are, um, nine times out of ten, it's second person plural. It's, it's y'all. It really shouldn't be written you. But we don't use y'all in regular English. It should be, be y'all, okay? So I want you to keep that in mind uh, as we read Ephesians 6. And remember that Paul is talking to, to y'all. And in this case, y'all is, is the, uh, the recipients of his letter, the, the church in Ephesus. But then all of us that might, might read that letter as it was passed from church to church and throughout the centuries to today. So, so he's not talking to Todd. He's talking to, to y'all. Okay, all right. So, so again, in the comments, oh, I didn't make you guys say it. Can you guys say y'all? Y'all, right? 
And, and in the comments, I can't tell if you're doing it, but wouldn't it be funny if people like looked at this video and there were like 15 comments that said y'all, and people were like, what's the deal with that? So light it up in the comments, because we want to remember, y'all, it's the most important word in the New Testament. Okay, so, so let's, let's look through uh, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. I'm reading in the New Living Translation, uh, and it goes like this. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And, and who's Paul talking to? He's talking to y'all, right? Uh, put on all of God's armor so that y'all will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that y'all will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. So stand y'all's ground then, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the, of the devil, put on the helmet of salvation, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Then pray in the Spirit on all occasions, at all times, on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in all your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And, and would y'all pray for me too? Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. As I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, now so we've got the y'all, uh, and we've got therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that y'all will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil and be found standing firm, right? Standing firm like Rochelle, standing firm like Dan, standing firm like whoever that person is that you know stood firm in the end. Y'all, y'all stand firm. Um, and so, and so I grew up, I grew up reading this passage uh, as a kid, and, and I remember as a kid we used to have this poster, I don't know if it was on my wall or like in the Sunday school room, but it was a poster of like a medieval knight in like a suit of armor and and every piece of armor had an arrow, and it was like the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and, and it's interesting stuff, you know? And so maybe, I remember growing up reading this thinking, okay, so how do I put these things on every day? And maybe I've heard, uh, I've probably even preached sermons like this or, or heard sermons like this where the pastor said, okay, so when you wake up in the morning, make sure that you are buckling your belt of truth, right? And you're putting a breastplate of righteousness on and, and peace and, and faith and salvation and spirit and word. And, and I had planned uh, today as I was preparing uh, this kind of long before um, to uh, talk through these different things. And they're really important. There's lots of good stuff there um, and focus on these things. But but I read something this week, and that was Isaiah 59, and, and it was just so important. It just totally changed uh, how I looked at this whole thing. And so if you stay tuned this week, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about each of these things uh, throughout the week, actually the next two weeks. Um, but we're not going to focus on each piece of armor too much today. Uh, it's there, but remember, y'all, um, and, and so I was going to talk about this, <laughs> but I read Isaiah 59, and I could not get it out of my head. And seriously, at, at 8.30 last night, I changed the sermon around, which is, if you know me at all, is not like me at all, um, because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't not. Um, so as important as each of these pieces of armor are, um, uh, Isaiah 59 really just, it, it just turns this passage around. So, so remember, you know, this, remember, don't forget it's, it's always to y'all, um, but, but here's, here's Isaiah 59. So if you turn there, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long, um, but I encourage you, like, take a minute to read the whole thing, because it has a direct tie-in to Ephesians 6, 
And uh, when we read it, I think we get a, a better idea of what Paul has in mind when he's asking people to put an armor on. Uh, so, and, and I've been telling myself, thinking about this, I think Isaiah 59 has to be like the most like, like metal thing I have ever read. Um, and, and this is for Patrick. Patrick knows what I mean. But Isaiah 59 has got to be the most metal chapter of the Bible that, that I've, I've ever read. The author paints what can only be described as like a post-apocalypse uh, movie trailer of, of life. Um, I bet there's like Christian heavy metal album covers that, that focus on Isaiah 59 because it's, it's just, Striper's got one, right? See, I knew it. I knew if I asked Patrick, he would know. It's just so metal. Um, so so it starts off, right? So listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear you call. So God's people are in trouble. And Isaiah says, listen, God, it's not that God can't hear you. It's not that he's not strong enough to save you. It's that your sins have cut you off from God. And then he goes on to describe in just, just brutal, metal, vivid detail what that means. He says, your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips full of lies. And, and he's talking about the community. He's talking about God's people and how far they've gone. Uh, he says, no one cares about being fair and honest. People sue each other based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and they give birth to sin. This is what's happening. And, and it's everybody. Uh, my favorite one is, is coming up, verse 5. It says, they hatch deadly snakes and weave spiders' webs, right? And there's, that's just so metal to me, right? It's like, like, instead of chickens in your coop, like, you've got snakes in your coop, and you're hatching snake eggs. Instead of weaving your clothes out of, out of wool from lambs, you're, you're gathering cobwebs to make your clothing. It's, it's you're doing it wrong. You're turning towards evil. It says their webs can't be made into clothing. Nothing they do is productive. Their activity is filled with sin. Uh, I'll jump down, verse 10. We grope like the blind along a wall, feeding, feeling our way like people with no eyes. Even at brightest noontime, and we stumble as though it were dark among the living, we are like the dead, right? It's like zombies, right? I mean, it's got everything. Uh, our courts oppose the righteous. Justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. So Isaiah paints this dark picture, right? This post-apocalyptic, biblical, like, horror show. Like, like, this is a list of life at its absolute most terrible. Your hands are stained with blood. Your lips speak falsely. You make your clothes out of spider's webs. You know, it's like God is saying, um, you know, y'all are, are, are picking, like, poison ivy for your salad mix. Whoever eats the eggs that you're, you're hatching will die. If one cracks, a snake comes out and bites you. Like, this is the life that you've created. You're rushing into sin. Isaiah paints this picture of misery and desolation that comes from walking away from Yahweh and how that, that desolation has come to their land. And he, and he says, you know, we look for light, but it's all darkness. There's nothing. We look for justice and find none. It's sad, right? It's a dark, worst-case scenario. And, and you'll see why, but, but Paul is imagining this. 
as he's writing Ephesians. He's remembering this, and you'll see why in a minute. I'll, sh- I'll show you how in a minute, but just trust me for now. Paul has this in his head as he's writing Ephesians 6, as he's talking about the time of evil that comes, as he's talking about putting on armor and preparing for battle. Because if you're in the early church, if you're one of the people reading this letter the first time, if you're a part of that first y'all, um, you're feeling this. Things are bad. Ever since you came to know Christ, you met Paul, uh, your life has been hard. It's been a battle. People have been at you. They've been making life difficult. It doesn't seem like there's any hope, any future. And maybe you're feeling like this right now, too. You know, the people that you love and care are doing things that you wish they wouldn't. People in the church are making mistakes that you don't agree with. People in charge of leading us don't seem to be up to the challenge. In your own relationships, you're, you're snapping at family members. You can't even sit and talk to your friends without a fight or awkwardness. And it's hard to imagine things going back to normal. It's hard to imagine things getting better with all that conflict and stress and anxiety and, and nonsense. The, look, uh, the world looks dark sometimes. Maybe you're feeling that. The word world feels dark sometimes. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that. But Isaiah, he doesn't stay in the despair forever. Isaiah 59 doesn't end with, and so God destroyed the world because honestly it wasn't worth saving. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and, and this is, uh, we're getting close to the part that, that Paul uh, is coming into. This is getting closer to the part that Paul is directly referencing. Because in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of, of the, the metal album cover and the snake eggs and all this crazy stuff, starting in verse 15, uh, we have this. So the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. What an understatement, right? People are, are, are raising snakes and getting bit by them, and the Lord is displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. But Yahweh doesn't turn away from the sight. He doesn't wipe them out and move on. It says, uh, so his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. God says, I'm going to turn the car around. And check this out. It's going to sound really familiar. And it's up on the slide. It says, uh, his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness saved him. And he put on righteousness as his breastplate the helmet of salvation on his head. Now, if you were listening back in Ephesians 6, this should sound really familiar. This is the same image that Paul uses. Paul says, y'all put on righteousness like a breastplate and salvation as a helmet. And Paul grew up uh, his whole life, his whole culture, wasn't just religion, but his religion, his culture, his entertainment, were all telling and retelling the stories of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and the words of the prophets. So, So Paul knows this. This is this is his Star Wars. He knows every line. And, he, and when he wants to tell people how to live in a time where things are dark, he says, well, well, you better put on God's own armor. Righteousness is a breastplate. Helmet of salvation on your head. The exact same words. This is what Paul is referencing. This is what Paul is picturing uh, in his head, at the very least, as he writes Ephesians. You know, metal album cover, post-apocalyptic wasteland, beam of light. God puts on the armor and comes down there and solves the problem. And this is the hope, right? This is the hope of Isaiah. This is the hope of the people that read uh, these y'all words for the first time. This is the dream of God's people basically since day one. Ever since Cain killed Abel, the prayer and hope has been that God would come down here and deal with the problem of sin and evil and death on earth. End the battle. You see that, right? Right? Yeah, okay. 
Uh, and Isaiah is saying, when things are the darkest, God puts his helmet on, he comes downstairs and, and solves the problem. And here's what's shocking to me about Ephesians, and I just never really understood this until this week. Um, so, so Paul, if you read the whole book of Ephesians, especially chapter 4, Paul spends a lot of time talking about how in the church, those who belong to Christ belong to one body. He's always like, y'all are the body of Christ together. You're one body, whether you're Jew or Gentile or, or whatever. And we talked about this when we were talking about um, unity in our relational covenant. You know, whoever you are, a Republican or a Democrat or male or female, you are all members of one body. And so, so Paul says this over and over again. Jesus came down, God in flesh. He died and rose again so that you could be reconciled to him. He beat death, and now you can become one body. And that one body, according to Paul, is the body of Christ on earth. Christ's body on earth is you. It's the church. It says, y'all are one body. That's Christ's body. And so if you're looking for Christ on earth, look to the church. And y'all, that one body, are engaged in a spiritual battle. That's what Paul talked about that we read last week. Therefore, if, if Christ's body is in the middle of a spiritual battle, maybe Christ's body ought to put on God's armor. What's that, you ask? Well, see Isaiah 59. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, but, but God's own spiritual armor. So how can you possibly wear God's armor? It's God's armor. David couldn't even wear Saul's armor at David's foot. How can, how can I wear God's armor? Well, the truth is you can't alone. You, you can't do it. You're not big enough. You're not God. But y'all can because y'all are the body of Christ. And together, we are called to wear God's armor as we take a stand in difficult, evil days here and now. You know, we live in a, in a time and an age where, where we're hyper-individualized and segmented, right? We all uh, curate our own truth, our own news, our own information, our own ideas, our own pet theologies. We, we've been convinced that to, to follow Jesus means I got to put my own armor on and pull myself up by my heavenly bootstraps by myself and, and carry my Bible into the woods, and that's how I follow Jesus. Too often these days we believe that's all we need. A, a Bible, a quiet time, maybe a, maybe a favorite author, and that's being a disciple, right? right? We, think, we think that. I think that sometimes. And so we, we figure out the truth alone, reading, reading the Bible by ourselves and, and watching a video or reading an author. We try to be righteous alone by being good and better than other people. We seek peace alone. We doubt and struggle and fall alone. We carry all our burdens. We fight all our own battles until they crush us alone. But that is not what God had in mind for his church. That's not what God had in mind for his body. Yes, life is a, bad, a battle, and we're going to need to be one body together, wearing God's armor if we want to be standing in the end. My friends, we need each other. And not just to, to you know, brush paths with each other, not even just to sit next to each other occasionally, um, but to actually get involved in each other's lives, to wear God's armor together, to put on truth and honesty in our relationships, God's righteousness in the way we treat others, the reconciliation and peace that comes from the good news, the the faith and loyalty in Christ that protects us from the attacks of the enemy, the salvation and the sure hope of the resurrection that keeps us from losing hope when we face 
loss. And finally, finally, yes, the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God that defines what we do and why and how uh, we, we share the gospel together. This is what Paul is talking about. And it's still on the table. It's still on offer that we would be one body wearing God's armor till the end. But it starts with a mindset change. It starts with being willing to join in with both feet, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's frustrating, even when you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it, because we need each other. It, it starts with us being, being like my friend Dan Danielson and, and showing up in people's lives. Even, you know, and, and he's, a, he's a retired guy. In our church, we did all kinds of weird things. I'm sure he was like, ah, I don't know about this song, you know. Uh, <clears throat> showing up, even when you're not you're not getting anything out of it. Showing up in somebody else's life, not because, just because you need them, but because they need you, and guess what? You will need them, too. To commit to sticking together when things are fun, when we agree, when it's easy and nice to go to church, and, and when it's uncomfortable, when it's painful, when it's awkward and frustrating and stressful, when things don't work and the thing doesn't turn on, when the day of evil comes. So we're invited uh, to, to admit our own need for Christ, to turn to him, to believe in what he's done for us, and to turn towards him and towards the community that he's given us. So I want to invite you to, to do that with me today, if you'd pray with me. Lord, um, I, as a person, am not enough. I can't wear righteousness by myself. I, I can't seem to do the right thing on my own. And even with other people's help, I let you and others down all the time. My selfishness drives my actions, Lord. I need you and your sacrifice and your transformation. I'll never make it through the battle on my own. And Lord, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, I believe he died and rose again so that I might be made new and be made a part of a new body on earth. Forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make us new. In your name, amen. When we do that, when we lay down our own attempts and efforts, we're saved, right? But we still need to connect and be a part of the Christ, the body of Christ that God has called us to so we can support and challenge and encourage and guess what? Be challenged, be supported, be encouraged and stand together when things are good and when it's a battle. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.